My goodness gracious. Man, that was good, wasn't it? Amen? Amen. That was great. That's good. I tell you. Well, thank you guys. Thank you, choir. Thank our praise team. Thank all of you for worshiping this morning. I pray that the Lord was honored and glorified and our worship was received by Him. And, and so uh, just thank you for taking part in worship. Those who are viewing and listening by radio, we, we pray that you worshiped also. Before I share uh, the scripture passage, I want to read a card. You know, this has been a very tough time on a lot of people because we've had several deaths in, in our community. And then this, this uh, is a card I received. It says, thank you very much for the beautiful church, the food, the cards, and kind expressions of sympathy shown to us during my mother's passing. Your support at this difficult time was very much appreciated and has been a great comfort to me. And love you all. And this is from Kelly Champion. So continue to pray for Kelly and, and her family and others. We have so many. Billy Wilson's uh, funeral will be this week, and he's a friend of many of us here. And uh, Coach Mike Tice died, and he was coach here at Phil Camel for a number of years. And and we just have uh, so many. There's when you when you were given the, uh, the announcement sheet, uh, there's prayer list on the back, and so so it's too numerous to read off, but they're so important. So if you would please remember these in prayer, and especially those who have lost loved ones. You know, it's what it's all about. It's what Easter's about. It's the promised resurrection. We know Christ was raised in that same spirit that raised him. He told us, Christ himself said it will raise you up one day. And so we look forward. Uh, if, we're, if we're still living when he comes for his church, well, then we'll just go up to be, be with him after those who have died in the Lord have preceded us, then we'll be, we'll be called up to be with him in the air and forever live with the Lord. And I, I really think, I really think that's not going to be too long for, from now. And so uh, just keep looking toward the eastern sky, because uh, our redemption draws nigh. Uh, well, this morning, I want to share with you a sermon slide up there. Uh, says, Aaron's rod that budded. I wanted to preach this last year, and God says, no, just wait, continue to work on it, because he just really spoke to me. And I'm going to be reading just a few minutes. I'm going to cover some more scripture before the main text of Numbers 17, 1 through 10. But anyway, uh, I wanted to, this fascinates me when I was reading there in the Old Testament and, and all of a sudden I discovered that if you're taking notes, the first point, God uses types in the Old Testament and then the reality is revealed in the New Testament. I don't know if you've ever noticed that or not. We want to look at that as it, um, as it speaks of Aaron's rod that budded. And so there's different types, different symbols different signs, different ceremonies, different colors, different incidents, different character, uh, different types in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, God takes all those types in the Old Testament and he brings them to reality in the New Testament. And for an example, let me give you an example. The tabernacle in the Old Testament. The tabernacle was a tent. It was, it was a dwelling place. In the Old Testament, God dwelt in a tent. He dwelt in the tabernacle. Uh, he dwelt in the tabernacle on earth. Then John 1 verse, six, uh, John 1, verse 1 says that 
uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Verse 14 says in John 1, 14, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now that word dwelt there, uh, the Greek word for that word is sakin, and that simply, in the verbal form, it means to tent. Christ came from heaven and tented with us. He tabernacled with us. He dwelt among us. So here's the point. God used a type in the Old Testament, a tabernacle, a tent, to explain the incarnation of Christ in the New Testament and how Christ dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. He dwelt among us. He tended among us. So an Old Testament sign and then a New Testament reality. But then you'll have another one. Another one I found in the Old Testament was uh, the, the tabernacle fabric, the fabric around the tabernacle, but primarily the fabric between the court and the Holy of Holies. There was a curtain there, fabric there. And if you remember when Jesus was crucified, that curtain was rent from top to bottom. There's a message about that. But it was rent from top to bottom. It was a type, that curtain that curtain was a type. The rendering of that tabernacle curtain was a type of tearing the flesh of the tabernacle, now listen, of the house that Jesus dwelt in, i.e. his body. And so that rending of that curtain was a type of the flesh being ripped and torn during the crucifixion of Jesus. So you have, you have the sign in the Old Testament, but then you have the reality of it actually taking place in the New Testament. Now, the, the contents, you had that tabernacle and you had contents. I want you to, to look at Hebrews 9, 1 through 3, and, and you'll see the contents that was uh, in that tabernacle. Okay, Hebrews uh, 9, verse 1, we have it. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service in earth an earthly sanctuary. There's a purpose for that tent. Divine services, divine ordinances were going to be performed in that tabernacle, in that tent. For a tabernacle, verse 2, was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, the showbread, which is called the sanctuary, and behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant, overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot, that had manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Now, now notice what he says here. He says, listen, there's the tabernacle, and the most holiest part of the tabernacle, there's a curtain, and behind that curtain you have the ark of the covenant. The ark of the covenant. So the most important area of that earthly tabernacle where the divine servant and the ordinances were being performed in the Holy of Holies, inside that Holy of Holies rested the Ark of the Covenant. There's a shot of the Ark of the Covenant, artist rendition, the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark is a type. The Ark is a type of the person, Jesus. Now, that Ark was made out of acacia wood. Acacia was, was a natural wood. Thus, the Ark made out of natural wood really is a sign about his humanity, okay? He, was, he, was, uh, he, he had a, 
uh, he, he came to earth, and he, he lived in an earthly body. He was divine, but it also he was human. So that, that acacia wood is, is a sign of his humanity. But on top of that, it was covered with gold. It was laden with gold. The ark was overlaid with gold, Exodus 25, verse 11. And that's a picture of his deity. And so you have the ark. You have a picture of Jesus, his, his, his humanity, and then his, his divineness, all one. But then you had something in that ark. And he mentioned three items. Inside that ark of the covenant referred to the things that were only inherent, inherent to Christ himself. To Christ himself. So the ark was really a, a, a sign of Christ, but inside you had three items placed in that ark that was inherent to Christ himself, no one else. Inside the ark, first of all, you had the tables of the law. You had the Ten Commandments. There those two gray-looking things, perhaps best picture we could get. Those two tablets, the Ten Commandments, were led inside that, that ark of the covenant. The, the Ten Commandments, exemplary, of the life of Jesus. He fulfilled the law. The law he, was, he, he didn't come to destroy the law. Matthew 5, 17, Do not think that I've come to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. And so inside that Ark of the Covenant, you had the law. You had those Ten Commandments. He lived a holy life, a pure life, an undefiled life, a sinless life. All can be summed up in the law and the law of the prophets. So he had inside the Ark of the Covenant, you had that commandment in which was exemplary inherent to Christ himself and no one else. But you had something else. The second thing inside that Ark, you, you have the golden pot of manna. You remember when they were, they were wandering in the wilderness and all of a sudden they needed food and they didn't have any food. They began to plain, complain for food and all of a sudden this, this substance started falling out of the sky and it was manna. Now, uh, the word manna means what's that? They didn't, they didn't know what it was, but it was a bread-like substance. And so God fed his people on a daily basis from that manna falling from the sky. And they, could only, they, could, they couldn't store any it up. They just had to eat what they had to have that day. But it was that bread-like substance. And John 6, 51 6 verse 51 says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he'll live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. And so inherent to Christ only, the bowl of manna represents that he is the bread of life. And so we have the Ten Commandments, fulfills the law. We have the, the bowl of manna, which signifies a sign that he is the, the bread of life. And there's one other thing in the ark. And that's what I always wondered about, Aaron's rod that budded. Now, if the other two had to refer to Christ, what did the rod have to, who did have to refer to? It had to refer to Christ, too. So how does all that come about? A rod that budded and produced fruit. And that was simply a type. But it was brought forth in reality in the New Testament in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See how it all works? So the question is, what did God mean? What did he mean to demonstrate in this flowering, fruiting of this rod 
of errands. Okay? That's point one. <laughs> point two. Point two. You have a rebellion against the priesthood of Aaron. Now let me tell you about Aaron. In Exodus chapter 28, number 16, God had said that Aaron was to be the high priest and his family were to be priests and the Levites were to be the servants of, that, of, that, uh, of the temple. They were to take care of the religious activities uh, going forth in that temple. And so God appointed Aaron to be the high priest. But what happened, you had three men that rose up against what God said, and they wanted to, be, they wanted to have that authority in their life. They wanted to have Aaron's job. They wanted to be the high priest, and they wanted to be priest. And so uh, they wanted to hold that priestly office. And so God, uh, they, they rebelled against the priesthood, and their names, those three men, Kara, or Korah, and Dathan, and Abiram. So they rebelled against God's priesthood, who he had appointed priest. And because of that, God judged them. So point three, if you take a note, you have the judgment of God against those who rebelled against the priesthood of God. Now, I'm, I'm explaining that right. And so they rebelled against the priesthood. They rebelled against Aaron. And God brought judgment. And there's three judgments. The first judgment, I think I listed the judgment of God, um, was that the earth opened up. The earth opened up, and you can read about this when you have time in Numbers 16, 23 through 33. All of a sudden, Korah, one of the chief, or the chief leader, really, that rebelled against Aaron being the high priest, and, and so all of a sudden, the, the, the ground opened up and swallowed Korah and swallowed all of his family members, and everything that he owned, it opened up, swallowed all that, and closed back up. And then judgment fell in the form of fire, and we had some of his friends that were, uh, were, I guess, taking care of some priestly duties in which they were not supposed to, and all of a sudden, fire came down from heaven and consumed 250 of those false priests that were carrying on duties in the temple, uh, uh, the tabernacle, when God said only Aaron and the Levites had that responsibility. And then the third judgment fell on Israel, and they began to murmur, and God sent a plague. Now, you might correct the outline. It's not he sent a, he didn't judge them with a prayer, but he, that was my fault. He judged them with a plague. Why? Because they went against his decision to have Aaron and his family as the priest, the high priest, and the priest, and the Levites to take care of the temple. And so this plague came upon the people of God, and Aaron began to pray, and he prayed, and he prayed, and before God answered his prayer, 47,700 Israelites died. See how serious that is? Now, therefore, a time passed after those judgments where no one ever wanted to compete with Aaron and, and that priesthood anymore. Uh, and But God knew his people, and he knew that in time the people would forget his judgments, and, and they would arise, or they would, they, there would arise another group, and, and they would want to uh, uh, 
uh, oppose the priesthood, appoint themselves to the priesthood, and, and seize and take over that office and appoint themselves as priests. And so God developed a sign by which he could designate his man who would be the great mediator between man and God and God and man forever. And so the fourth outline note is the sign and the process by which God would designate the high priest, the great mediator between God and man, and man and God forever. And now we come to our text. Turn, if you will, to uh, Numbers chapter 17. Numbers chapter 17, and we want to look at verses 1 and 10. So God's fixing to devise a plan where from now on out, forever and forever, people will know that the, who the high priest of Israel would be. Chapter 17, Numbers, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and get from them a rod from each of the father's house, all of their leaders according to their father's houses, twelve rods, write each man's name on the rod, and you shall write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi, for there shall be one rod for the head of each father's house. Then you shall place them in the tabernacle of the meeting before the testimony where I meet with you. And it shall be that the rod of the man which I choose will blossom, and thus will I rid myself of the complaints of the children of Israel which they make against you. So Moses spoke to the children of Israel, and each of their leaders gave him a rod apiece. For each leader, according to their father's houses, twelve rods, and the rod of Aaron was among the rods. And Moses placed the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of the witness. And it came to pass on the next day that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron of the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and produced blossoms and yielded ripe almonds. Then Moses brought out the rods from the, before the Lord to all the children of Israel, and they looked, and each man took his rod. And the Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron's rod back before the testimony. Back before that Ark of Covenant. To be kept as a sign against the rebels that you may put their complaints away from me lest they die. Now, the sign, the decision, so that there would be no person who would seek to appoint themselves as minister, as high priest, as priest. There was, by the way, there was one that came up right after this. His name was Uzziah, and, and he, he offered some incense. He went to the temple and offered some incense right after this happened, and all of a sudden he was struck with leprosy and he died. And from then on, no one has ever tried to, to go against God's anointed high priest. Now listen, this is important. The, the reason that God was so determined to establish and affirm this Eric priesthood because it was a type of the great high priest of Jesus Christ himself. There's only one mediator between God and man and man and God. The man whom God has chosen, the man Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.5 verifies that. For there is no one 
There's no one, no one, not but one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. Now, how do we know he's the only high priest? How do we know that? Well, we have some signs. This is point five in your outline. I'm almost finished. The signs that God has chosen Jesus Christ as the great high priest forever. First of all, his first affirmation is that he raised him from the dead. Isaiah 11.1 said, Christ is referred to as the, the rod out of the stem of Jesse. Isaiah 52.2 describes him as a root, a dead, dry root in a dry ground. If he appeared unfruitfulness and he looked that way while he was alive, think how he looked when he was dead. How can this dead person be a high priest? There he lay in the tomb, a rod, the Bible says, a stick, a root. But there in the night, in the quietness, in the gloom, and the darkness of that tomb, comes the quickening power of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 28, 1 through 7. And this rod, this dry rod, this dead staff, this root and dry ground is quickened. And suddenly it's alive and it blossoms and it brings forth fruit unto God. This is God's man. Jesus Christ is his man. This is the great mediator. He is the, he is the high priest forever and forever. And the Bible declares that in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize without weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in the time of need. What sign did God give that Jesus Christ was once and for all the great high priest? First of all, his resurrection. His resurrection. Think of that. The rod of Aaron has budded and blossomed and brought forth almonds to the Lord. God raised him from the dead. Acts 3 verse 15. How can you tell if Jesus is really the true high priest? And some other is not. How can you tell? Well, first, God raised him from the dead. How can you tell if he's the true prophet, if he's the true high priest? I mean, uh, Buddha, his followers would say that he's the great high priest. He's the great teacher. He's the great orator. But, but how death cut him down. He's just a dead rod. What about Muhammad, 570 to 632 A.D.? His followers said that he was a true prophet and a teacher and the priest of God. He's dead. Death cut him down. What about Confucius, 551 to 479? His followers says he's the true prophet and the high priest. Death cut him down. What about Zoroaster, 628 to 551? Death cut him down. Buddha, Muhammad, Confucius, Zoroaster, all cut down 
like a dry rod. They're all in their tombs, stacked up like dead sticks. And Aaron's rod budded, and it blossomed, and it fruited, and it brought forth almonds. How do you know he's the great high priest? Because he was raised from the dead. All of these I mentioned, others that I mentioned, cut down in death. How do they fare when death comes to them? They're victims of death. But the, the sepulcher of Joseph in the garden, where our Lord was incarcerated and buried there in that tomb, he arose. It's empty. And this dry rod budded and blossomed and brought forth fruit unto God. So what are the signs that God has chosen Jesus Christ as the great high priest? First, he raised him from the dead. Secondly, Jesus Christ is laid up in the holy tabernacle in heaven. What did, do with, what did they do with Aaron's rod when it budded? said, take it before the testimony and put it in the Ark of the Covenant. Lay it in the Ark of the Covenant. Lay it in the tabernacle in the Ark of the Covenant. Where is Jesus today? Oh, he's in heaven. He's risen. He's gone to heaven and he's been laid up in the heavenlies with God the Father. He ascended into the heavens and he's there today. He's there to, to save all who would in faith cry out to him and ask him to forgive them and to come into their life and save them. Romans 10 verse 13. And one day he's going to come in the air and he's going to He's going to call out from this so wicked world the bodies of those who have died in Christ and call out those who are alive and remain in Christ and carry them to be with him forever in that place called heaven, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We know that he's the great high priest because he's laid up in heaven in the witness, as a witness in glory. What are the signs? He was raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And then third and finally, this dry root is still blessing and bringing forth fruit today. Think about that. When a woman, a man, a woman, boy or girl accepts the gospel of Jesus Christ, my goodness, coming to God in faith, trusting Him as their Savior, trusting in nothing else, there's this transformation that takes place in that life, in that soul, in that heart, in that family. One of the greatest types, one of the greatest types is Aaron's rod that budded and bloomed and brought forth fruit. Truly, it was brought to reality in the New Testament through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's have a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we've had today to look at Easter from just a different perspective different sign. And Lord, this morning during our sunrise service, we, we read the account in how Jesus uh, was crucified and how he was buried in the tomb and how, how the Marys went to the tomb and found the stone and found the guards and, and found the stone had been rolled away and the guards were asleep. But Father, today we've looked at Easter in another way, a different way a sign in the Old Testament, the reality found in the New, with Aaron's rod that budded, Lord, that, that, that appointed the great high priest. And Lord, the great high priest we know today, without a shadow of a doubt, forever and forever, 
is your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. And Lord, you've made that known to us through his resurrection, through his ascension into heaven, and through his continued fruitfulness as the gospel is being shared here. I thank you for our time together today, Lord. And I pray for every person here and those who have never accepted Christ as Lord and Savior of their life. I pray that the Holy Spirit has gone from person to person, chair to chair, and convicted a need, the need that they have to be saved. Other decisions that perhaps need to be met today, made today. Lord, those who have walked away for whatever reason, this would be a great homecoming day. For others, Father, who for whatever reason, Lord, has stumbled and their testimony is, is damaged, but we pray for revival or renewal of that testimony today. Uh, some may even need to come and unite with this church and get plugged in and serve you here as we wait and serve, wait for your return and serve while we're waiting. I don't know what decisions need to be made, but Father, this is a great time to make it, a great day to make it. You tell us that today is the day of salvation. And Father, I pray now, as we have this invitation time, that you would work in the hearts of people. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.